0: This is Bebop Tabletop, the podcast that's turning each episode of Cowboy Bebop into a tabletop RPG. I'm Lee Jo John. I'm Andrew Wu. And together, we're remixing the characters, music, and themes into a game we can play. Let's jam.
1: Howdy, Space Samurai. This is Bebop Tabletop Session Twenty-Three. This week, we're talking about session 22 of Cowboy Bebop, Cowboy Funk. I'm Andrew Wu. I don't know how to introduce myself. I never have to do this, but I, I just want to say hi. Hi, everybody. How's it going? With me as usual is Joe John. Joe, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm very funky. How funky do you feel?
0: Funky enough to ignore a terrorist. Oh no. Oh no. (laughs) I think that's very appropriate
1: and incredibly inappropriate, but I'm glad you're here today. This is one of my favorite episodes of Cowboy Bebop. This one was originally did not air because of September 11th. We've talked about before that sometimes these episodes have been censored by Adult Swim because of global events and it was broadcast on a at the time, viewed as a children's network that was transitioning
0: into more mature content, right? So it was a little bit controversial, I would say. In the West, animation has always been seen as a sort of children's medium. Like, no matter how adult the themes are, uh, you know, always people will assume it's for kids. And, you know, to a certain degree, it still happens today. Uh, But, yeah, I don't think anybody was ready for the amount of violence shows like Cowboy Bebop Uh, or Akira, or all that sort of things, you know, brought to the table. Yeah, we were not ready. Our our fragile little minds
1: here in the Americas were
0: not ready. Despite all the, you know, killings and all the cop movies and all the, you know, over-the-top violence. Anime guns, too much.
1: Yeah, no, this is not Y7FV.
0: Yeah, What what are those called again? Uh... MPAA rating? No, that's for movies. That's for
1: movies. And ESRB's for video games. There's a TV one, but I don't remember off Nielsen yeah. ratings? <laughs> no, Nielsen is how well it did. I know. <laughs> how many people watched it? We do. I don't know things. <laughs> it's fine. We're not here to know things. We're here to talk about Cowboy Bebop, Cowboy Funk. Lee jo, are you ready for a summary? Let's hit it. Spike confronts Teddy Bomber, a terrorist known for placing bombs inside of stuffed teddy bears. Just as Teddy is cornered, Andy bursts through a window, riding a horse. He points his gun at Spike, thinking he is the real Bomber. So, Teddy escapes and blows up the building. Later, Jet, Faye, and Spike go to a masquerade party to capture Teddy Bomber, but once again they are interrupted by Andy, on a horse, on the elevator. Andy thinks Jet is Teddy and the real Teddy detonates his bombs to get away. A chase ensues with Faye and Andy riding the horse, Spike in the swordfish, and Teddy in a car. Spike and Andy, though, are more interested in fighting each other than grabbing Teddy. Faye and Andy eat some son-of-a-gun stew, and Faye recognizes too many similarities between he and Spike. Teddy issues a threat through Big Shot, and both Spike and Andy meet to confront him. Ted is ignored, then the hunters get trapped in an exploding elevator. The two escape and decide to fight each other anyway. After a lot of ammo and acrobatics, Spike punches a desk in frustration, collapsing part of the building. This convinces Andy to quit. He gives Spike his hat and declares him the real cowboy. As Teddy Bomber is driven to prison, Andy rides by on his horse, now a space samurai. This episode is funny. Um, I think I want to start there, right? Like that. Every couple of episodes we have an ep- uh, a, a, an episode of Cowboy Bebop that once again breaks the serious tones of most of the show and just goes all out wackiness. Uh, we saw it with Mushroom Samba. We see it here in Cowboy Funk with just a uh, a ridiculous character, right? A person that should not exist. It, it's kind of uh, something to think about. like Cowboy Andy is really like the Bruce Wayne of this universe, right? He decides I'm rich and I'm going to go out there and catch bad guys, right? Like, And he, so he puts on a whole costume, buys a whole uh, Faye when she visits his place. Like this place is incredibly tasteless, right? <laughs> it's all cowboy stuff. It's all, he goes all in on the branding,
0: right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I think you're totally correct. This is the equivalent of what Batman would be in the cowboy bebop universe. Uh, uh, you know, a well-meaning, but kind of out of touch a rich guy, you know, he wants to he wants to nab the bad guy, but really, what he's doing is just causing a problem for everyone else. Uh, and just the Japanese voice actor, the name is escaping me right now, but it's the same guy who does uh, Might Guy from Naruto. They he just really captures kind of this arrogance very well, and it and it's just so satisfying. I like that they also have him do the
1: preview for the next episode where he just pretends that yeah this is my show now i'm i'll see you guys next week
0: <laughs> i mean i usually skip uh the next episode trailer but
1: this one was fun uh something else i really liked about this episode was how uh the bounty teddy bomber seemed to have like really like a deeply thought out backstory and a reasoning for why he's doing this and uh you know honestly he seems oh uh, you know i don't like his methods but his his Theology is correct, right? His his, uh, his beliefs uh, line up pretty well with what I believe. Uh, but still, the fact that he's just a joke to all of them, that he's completely ignored, that he's uh, the the best moment was in Big Shot where he's got his whole manifesto there and they start reading it and they're just like, well, we're out of time, time for commercials. We don't have time to read your thing. Sorry.
0: Yeah. We've spent the better part of 23 episodes talking about like space capitalism and why it's bad. And, you know, we don't want to touch too heavily on those topics, but now we've got a guy who's literally looking at us, you know, straight in the face and saying, hey, space capitalism is bad, but because (laughs) of everything else that's going on in the background, his point can't be made. I think one of the funniest scenes in this entire episode is him in the uh, the paddy wagon uh, in the police vehicle, and he's he tells the cop his ideology, and the cop like pats him on the back, like reassuringly, like like he gets it, and it's it's just so funny because this entire operation was brought down by two idiots <laughs>
1: who couldn't. Who just needed to fight each other right like that's the thing like there's no reason they're so they're the same exact person
0: just fighting each other <laughs> i mean it's also a great character study on spike you know we like spike because he's cool and he does kung fu and he does all this stuff but he is stubborn and he is kind of terrible sometimes so when you kind of tweak that a little bit you've got cowboy andy and you can see like uh in a different set of circumstances spike would be insufferable This week, we
1: were so lucky, so fortunate, really, to have the hosts of the Bebop Beat, Lauren and Jamie, hang out with us for a couple of hours and play a little bit of our Bebop tabletop game. Joe, you constructed and ran a game for us based off of Cowboy Funk, and I like to think it went well. Well.
0: Yeah, it was a lot of fun, and it got a little wild and a little weird, and I think that it highlights the best of what we can do. Um, obviously, as I always say, uh, there are parts that we need to iron out and keep working on. Uh, but overall it was a pretty fun time. And again, I keep trying to shorten these sessions and keep them as tight as possible. But even when I said it would be a 90 minute session, it still ended up being almost three hours. So I don't know if that's just a strength of mine, or if that's just tabletop role-playing in a nutshell.
1: I think that Your session was exactly the length it needed to be. (laughs) First of all, uh, thank you both for being here, having that incredible Bebop beat run, and then agreeing to come back out of the space plane for one last job, right? Uh, Thank you so much for showing up.
2: You're so welcome. Thank you for asking. Uh, I was just at a coffee shop earlier today, and I saw a woman with a corgi on her mug, and I just was like so instinctual now i wanted to be like you have that mug because you like cowboy bebop and there are people who like corgis just because they're cute dogs you know but Damn. my mind my mind is so corrupted
1: now <laughs> i love that this implies that the queen of england likes cowboy bebop
2: she might has anyone asked her
1: <laughs> she's been around the block she probably is a big weeb you know uh, <laughs> folks listening right now if you aren't listening to the bebop beat you really should be because that is still the the premier place to go. If you want to listen to Cowboy Bebop discussion in your ears, that, that's the place to be. But for those that haven't yet been convinced, Jamie and Lauren, would you tell us a bit about yourselves?
3: Yeah, so uh, Lauren first approached me about 14 months ago with this project. Hey, would you like a podcast Also, do you want to talk about Cowboy Bebop for a year on end? And I was like, hell yeah, let's do this. So we've gotten together for the last, you know, like I said, 14 months and put together this project, created 50 episodes together, had some really amazing guest interviews with some of our idols, some voice actors, uh, you know, lots of really great experts that really helped us see Cowboy Bebop in a different light. Uh, I think it enhanced my experience as a host and and I've heard a lot of my friends also say and, and people who've reviewed the show say that they are also looking at Cowboy Bebop through a new lens and it, it gives them deeper appreciation for the work. And now that's done and I'm so glad we have free time again because now we can be here on your show doing this <laughs> awesome role play thing.
0: Making a podcast is a lot of work. It
2: was Jamie's not giving herself enough credit. Um, I approached Jamie because she is the founder of Anime Chicago, which is an amazing organization that brings a lot of people together in a community here in our city. And I am a huge Cowboy Bebop fan, obviously, favorite anime of all time, but my anime knowledge outside of that, I think came to a screeching halt in like the early 2000s and so Jamie fills in a lot of cultural information and a lot of fandom information that I did not have and that's why I really wanted to collaborate with her. She's also just an amazing friend, an amazing person, but our show just went so far beyond, I think, what any of us dreamed it could be. Um, Shout out to our editor, Angela, who brought just an extreme professional quality to the program. But... Amy mentioned experts. We started the format, like, let's bring in people who can talk to us about casinos or corgis and just give us this sort of more academic understanding of concepts that are in Cowboy Bebop. But once the podcast got a little bit more traction started getting braver and we asked like Steve Conti if he wanted to come on and then Bo Billingsley and Wendy Lee. And next thing you know we worked our way through the live action. We got to meet actors, writers, editors all the way up to Andre Nemec, the showrunner. So if you are a fan of any type of Cowboy Bebop, old or new, come hang out with us. It's 50 episodes and then we stopped so you can get to the end and not have to commit longer than that
1: it, it is currently comprehensive essentially like there is no more bebop so it is the total package until we remake this show again in 15 years i guess
3: oh no fans were quick to to tell us we could have more than 50 episodes under our belt like there's still more comic issues and what about these uh-huh. extras from dvds and i'm like please we're done Let us rest.
0: well then i'm i'm doubly thankful that you decided to come up for some more Cowboy Bebop for with us. always.
3: Oh yeah. man, my, my love for the show will never end, right? Being fans of the show for decades and doing this project really rejuvenated my enthusiasm for it. And so to be able
2: to like express it in a new way through a tabletop game, I'm real stoked. We did do a board game episode of our podcast because there's three or four Cowboy Bebop games out there officially now, but none that are exactly this like role playing sort of D&D format. And so I'm really excited about it. I love tabletop. I was just playing D&D yesterday, but I also love Cowboy Funk. When you said that's what you were centering this on, I think it's still my favorite episode.
1: It was so good. Uh, I, I just watched it last night for the first time in a long time. And... I forgot that it's so funny, <laughs> like the timing, the comedic, the comedic beats. Um, actually, so when when I was a guest on Bebop Beat, uh, we covered an episode of the live action with Teddy Bomber. Like I, I didn't plan that ahead either, but it was just a, a strange, funny coincidence that we were talking about the same guy, the, the adaptation of
0: the same guy. Uh, I do need to kind of quantify. That this is not exactly Cowboy Funk. This is very loosely based off a a scene that I found interesting. But yeah, I mean, Cowboy Funk is probably one of the most bizarre episodes. And that's coming from a series with a lot of bizarre episodes. I feel like that's something we say every week.
3: I think that Cowboy Funk is a really good way to step into role-playing explicitly because we never truly see what other bounty hunters are doing to this capacity, right? Cowboy Andy is in his full getup, he's playing the part, he's over the top, he's pissing people off, he's causing collateral damage. And they're drawing parallels to Spike and his personality and how closely intertwined the two of them are in that level. It it is just a parody of the format itself. I love it.
2: I really wish we would have seen more bounty hunters than just Andy. Like, what is this world like what is this occupation like are other people making more money less money are they more subtle less subtle and it, it's cool to get to explore that through i was gonna say gaming but it's almost a form of fan fiction as well
0: I, kinda, I think the overriding theme of you know the space western kind of space you know cyberpunk you know future punk sort of thing is that Bounty hunting is definitely not a luxurious job. Like, we see a couple episodes with other bounty hunters, and they're all kind of losers, you know? And, <laughs> I mean, you could argue that the Bebop crew is also a bunch of losers, but they, they're they the cool type of loser, right? And so Cowboy Andy is another one of these crazy, you know, over-the-top people, personalities. And, yeah, it's, uh, it, it finally clashes with another big personality that is Spike, right? I like, uh, I was just reminded right now of mushroom hunting. When you mentioned that
1: uh, we want to see other bounty hunters. In mushroom hunting, we see a whole nother crew of people. And the only thing we get from them as well is, yeah, that same level of weirdly competent about physical abilities and combat, but also incredibly incompetent about anything else to do with the job, right? (laughs) Like just just personal conflicts all over the place, uh, carrying uh, like emotional baggage with you into the job. Uh, just like this weird parallel universe of another bebop crew doing bebop things, uh, it's really the like the core of this game's idea too. I think is that we're trying to give people that experience of uh, yeah, like Joe was saying, being losers on a ship together.
2: <laughs> Love that you use the word losers because I have stood by for a long time that as beloved as the bebop crew is. I don't think they're very good at their jobs. And even when they are good at their jobs, they're very irresponsible with like money and planning and sustaining themselves off of the times they are successful. And I think fans of the show are prone to putting on like nostalgia goggles and seeing these characters as like perfect idols. But if you go back and visit it again, I mean, I'm watching it now in my mid thirties and I can see past the veneer a little bit and you're like oh people are pretty stupid
3: (laughs) i think wantanabe wants you wants to drive that point home because he puts jet and spike into the loser bar eventually (laughs) so (laughs) (laughs) they get there they go there they're capital l losers
1: (laughs) it's not subtext it's just text now yeah
0: (laughs) yeah i think what you kind of you kind of hit the nail on the head there a lot of anime is, like, the, the protagonist is super awesome. Like, they are, like, either incredibly powerful or geniuses or whatever. Spike and Jet and Faye are all competent. But they, yeah, as you said, they're all pretty self-destructive. Whether it's gambling or, you know, Julia or, you know, Faye with uh, or Jet with his kind of white knighting. You know, like, there's a lot going on.
2: I think Jet is the character that this last watch through we did for the podcast my mind changed the most about him. Uh I've always loved Jet. He's still such a favorite character of mine. His protectiveness and his like values, his iron code It's a lot more clumsy and sus than I think a younger me was maybe willing to admit. The way he's like treats his ex-girlfriend still like he knows better than her. I'm like, that's an adult. I can see why she left you.
1: Mm -hmm, Yeah. The thing that hit me about Jet most this time around was the fact that he is 35 years old and it just made me think like, wait, I'm 35 years old. Do I look like that? Is that what I'm like now? Oh, no.
3: <laughs> a saying I had on our podcast was, uh, put me in the hole. I'm older than Jet. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I'm older than you. So that doesn't make me feel great. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs>
0: well, I'm younger than all of you. And yeah, I would still feel weird about hanging with a bunch of 20-year-olds. Like, that's, that's, there's nothing wrong with that, I guess. But there's also something wrong with that. 20-year-olds, a child, and a dog. Yeah, that's, yes. that's his, his party. <laughs> yeah.
2: I didn't really mind that part of the live action. There was so much about the live action that was added for confusing reasons or unnecessary reasons, but giving Jet a daughter and an ex-wife, I thought that made perfect sense for, like, why he would then try to sort of assemble his own family on this ship because the family he was trying to plan with he kind of messed up he can't be with them mm-hmm. anymore so kind of taking control stubbornly and bringing together his own kids and his own dog like i kind of i kind of got it in the live action i thought that was one of its better choices
1: absolutely agree with that yeah i think I, I don't remember when I mentioned this, but like I, I've talked about how giving Jet stakes outside of the crew was a very strong and well done choice. Like it, it just made him so much more likable just because it's like, oh yeah, I know why you're doing this. I understand.
2: As kind of a plug for the podcast, as if we haven't done that enough, <laughs> um, the, the part of our. Interview with Andre Nemec that haunts me to this day that I bring up all the time is the fact that he was so kind and so generous in listening to so many episodes of our podcast before coming on the show, but kind of seemed to do so to disagree with us and correct us. <laughs> I was very down on the fact that they cast Mustafa Shakir, a Black actor. Then they made that character an ex-con and an absentee father when those weren't true in the original, like they added black stereotypes to the live action. And I called that out feeling very sincerely about it. I still feel very strongly about that to this day. And Andre Nemec was like, hey, remember a bunch of episodes ago when you said this thing? It wasn't actually about race. It was about cops. And just the fact that the 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 showrunner of a Netflix program was like you personally, Lauren Fates. Your opinions, I don't like them. It was very traumatizing, <laughs> and I highly recommend listening to that episode because if I was overjoyed like that, we got such a juicy talk with him, and it it hasn't like gotten out of my craw yet. An amazing interview.
1: It was so good. Uh, I listened to it also, and it was. Uh, I, you know, I have opinions on the live action show and listening to that interview, listening to him explain uh, the the reasons for some decisions, like on on some cases, like, I totally get, I understand, like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. I like this a little more because of how it's been explained. In other cases, I'm still just very like, no, 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 I don't think that's a good excuse.
0: (laughs) It's a great interview. It'll make you feel things if you have opinions about the live action. It's so good. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm probably, I unfortunately have not gotten to your, that episode yet, but I'm also struggling through the live action. And uh, hopefully this will give me a better perspective, really.
3: You're not the only one. A lot of people who I know love Bebop just can't bring themselves to watch the live action, even when I tell them, hey, there's additional content that I've created to help you contextualize that, you know, and Lauren and I, we put on a lot of time and effort to give the show justice uh, especially the creative aspects of it that do contribute to the bebop world that we personally enjoy and it's still not enough people are still like no i have better things to do with my time than be sad about this
2: interestingly i've heard more than one person also fall off of the podcast at cowboy funk because the movie canonically comes after Cowboy Funk, and if you can't get your hands on a copy of the movie or you don't know where to watch it, you can just stop listening to our show entirely because you don't want to get spoiled.
1: Yeah, it's it's weird that they came back for because because the movie was produced like a year, several years after the show, so it's it's strange. Like uh, they came back and said we're gonna we got to insert somewhere in the middle. We can't we can't fin- we can't continue the story. We need to.
0: You know, plug in a new episode. <laughs> well, I mean, considering what happened at the end, it's it's hard to uh, it's hard to go past that, right? Spoilers, Lejo. Spoilers. I didn't say anything.
2: Spoilers for a decades-old anime.
0: <laughs> Rosebud's the sled. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that is one of the the the, the troubles that we have. <laughs> is that it's it's hard to contextualize making a game for a show that's twenty. 25 20 almost 23 years old uh and we all love this show uh but also like (laughs) there are still people making games for it like recently Mm -hmm. uh we saw somebody release uh, a cowboy bebop inspired rpg and and i think that that speaks to the not only the value but just kind of the the pop culture icon that is cowboy bebop is that people still want more content
3: Oh, do they? I go on about fan fiction all the time. And what's (laughs) really interesting now is that the live action itself has inspired new fan fiction. Uh, And they're using specifically the name Fearless from the show Mm -hmm. to write their very specific John Cho, Alex Hassel fan fiction. I love it. There's just so many... This show has a lot of legs in lots of ways. And I've always said, as a Bebop fan, I don't want to see more of the crew from the Bebop. I want to see more of the world. And it is prime time to play role-playing games and to write fan fiction and to be immersed in this kind of sci-fi future that sucks. But we, you know, it's relatable too. Because this kind of future right now we're living, our reality also kind of sucks. So, (laughs) bebop has a little bit of everything for everyone and i'm glad that we had the opportunity to make a show about it i'm glad that you know people are going to continue to be inspired to create new things and that's actually a whole we we actually did a whole episode on that alone once we wrapped the live action so it's inspiring i have to say
1: yeah i let, let's take that and start talking about the game a little bit when, when we thought of running a role-playing game version of Cowboy Bebop, what I wanted to do was really revisit the series, watch through each episode, and extract what I thought was most Bebop out of it. Uh, around this time, this is when I discovered the Bebop Beep. Uh, this is when we found other people looking at, at well, like, how, how do we build a game out of these components? Uh, but then that's where we came about with this podcast idea. It's like, well, we're we're watching this episode by episode anyway. Uh, maybe we can talk about game design as we go through it. The thing that interests me most, I should say, is that the the themes of Cowboy Bebop seem to resonate differently with different people. And I, I think you both have mentioned on the show as well how by putting a product out there, right, by putting a podcast out there and then having fan feedback, you learn that like, oh, like, People like this thing about this show that I love, that I've never even thought about, like things like that. I guess this is my long-winded roundabout way of asking, when I say to you the words, Cowboy Bebop, role-playing game, what does that mean to you? Or what would you like it to mean?
3: I think that instantly implies action and combat, not necessarily saying I'm that kind of role-player, but having cowboy bebop without combat or action or chasing bounties wouldn't make it the same show it is right even though that those action sequences are real short concise to the point heavy hitting uh, they still serve to further the plot of each episode what
2: i would expect i think we've touched on a little bit already which is the opportunity to see Other parts of the world and other parts of bounty hunting that we didn't necessarily get a glimpse of in the anime because we were following specific people with a specific lifestyle on a specific ship. Anytime I play a tabletop game... Kind of also have an expectation of of balance, I guess is the way I'd put it. I would like there to be a combination of a DM or a GM who has a pre written exciting story in mind, so I get to see their creativity and their ideas for the Cowboy Bebop universe, but then enough flexibility that the people we create that live inside of it get their own level of control and improvisation as well. So both. The leader and the characters get to like have their hand on the ball. You know what I mean?
1: The the collaborative storytelling aspect. Yeah. To to your point, Jamie. Also, the I I, I hope and I hope that you'll agree. You know, in in a couple hours, uh, but I hope that the structure that we provided for this adventure and for you know generating new adventures does come up with that action sense or come up with that feeling of that moment of the show where everything. That you've done beforehand all comes to a crashing halt, comes to an action scene, a car chase, a a building exploding, right? It's something happens now. Like that, that's that feeling we get.
3: I don't know if this is true of anybody else, but it kind of reminds me of the way maybe music is composed. Like a song, it has an intro beat. You get to learn like what all the instruments are in it. Uh, it's very bebop-like, you know? And that uh, you're starting to build up repetition and patterns and unveil everything. And it comes to a climax at the end of the three or five minutes or whatever, however long song you're listening to. And then you've had a complete experience within that song. And that song might be part of albums. And the albums might give you even, even bigger overreaching arc about narratively where the music's going. But you can still always just listen to a song on its own. It's meant to be self-contained.
1: Exactly. Like... Uh- Each adventure should feel complete, even if we're, you know, even if we're playing like 20 of them, you know, it should all, each of them should have their own flavor. Uh, One of them will be the Mushroom Samba. One of them will be your Ballad of Fallen Angels, right? Like you've got this variation that can exist within the same spectrum.
3: It's funny because Ballad of Fallen Angels is almost like three music videos back to back to back.
0: (laughs) From the 80s, yeah. Yeah. The soulful stylings of the seat belts, you know? They uh, still make
2: music videos, like, for YouTube. I'm so old. Do music videos even exist anymore? They must, right? I, I know they are. I think are. so,
0: right?
1: I they assume do. they're, like, like 30 seconds long and fit in a TikTok now. I think that's how this works, right?
3: As a caveat, yeah, the Backstreet Boys just came out with a music video. No, was it them? yeah. So the Backstreet Boys came back with like a real weird song parody about the 80s and it has a full music video. You can go and watch that.
2: <laughs> Just not to make this podcast about something else completely They released an album just a couple of years ago and it rules. Like, I (laughs) unironically, I unironically love the Backstreet Boys in their 30s and 40s. They're making good music.
3: Lauren, is that the inspiration of your character today? No,
2: but if you give me a second to rewrite it, (laughs) I have some new ideas. My character has two names. Everyone here would know her as Sequin Shine, but her real name is Quinnifer Dart Perry. Her family used to be wealthy, then her whole life got messed up when her family decided to move to Venus. When they got to Venus, her father came down with Venus sickness. Venus sickness is not necessarily a death sentence or anything if you have a lot of money. So they spent pretty much all of the wealth they had to cure her father, which was very humbling for their lifestyle. And then there was just a random bank robbery on a random day and her father was killed as just a bystander. So to keep up with the like wealthy lifestyle that her mother wanted to keep pursuing, Quinn's mother started putting her in like little miss venus pageants and putting her on tv show doll commercials like you'd see in the live action and tried to make her basically a famous child star on our podcast we always talk about how badly the characters need space therapy nobody in this family ever went to space therapy they didn't process any of this they just kept moving forward So Sequin grew up really confused and resentful about how unfair it was that somebody got to just kill her father and ruin her life. So as she kind of aged out of being able to do pageants, she became a bounty hunter. The way she sort of balances her mom's desire for her to be famous and her own vengeful desire to like capture bad guys like her father's killer she now hosts a reality tv show about bounty hunting she is followed by a camera crew who tries to like watch her get the drop on the bad guys so her goals would be either to capture a bounty like exciting enough that her show gets renewed for more seasons and she gets a movie and she gets to be famous or to actually see if her father's killer is still alive. These goals kind of cannibalize each other because she can't be like a super effective bounty hunter with this clunky and obvious camera crew around. But she can't be super famous if she's constantly like doing this rundown loser job. So she's gonna have to pick which one of the two she wants to be. I'm playing Kat
3: Curtis. Uh, She's the daughter of two botanists who helped terraform the solar system. The technology they used really allowed people to colonize outer moons and things like that. Uh, But it also caused some pretty bad atrocities. Around the age 11, Kat discovered that. Ah, uh, people were not happy with her parents' work, and they burned everything she knew and loved to the ground. And she's been wandering the solar system, trying to make amends for all of her parents. You know, uh, the end justifies the means decisions in building their entire fortune and legacy. She is a botanist vigilante.
1: Sure, plant justice. I love it. <laughs> plant,
2: justice. plant
1: justice. My character is Wayne Chevalier. He used to be a very accomplished horseman, not a man that is a horse, but a man that rides horses, doing dressage, doing competitions. You know, he makes the horses jump, basically. But his time at the Young Men's Cowboy Association was filled with stress and angst and anger because he could never win. he He knew what he was doing. He was very good at his his at his game, but he could just never bring home that gold. So several silver medals later, And especially losing to uh, some young, rich punk that just had a really nice horse, essentially. He quit. He just decided he's burnt out. He doesn't want to do this anymore. So today, he's all about that relaxation. He's all about staying chill, being cool. Being chill and being cool and being relaxed doesn't make you a lot of money. So he picks up a lot of odd jobs here and there. So... Sometimes it means hopping on a ship. Uh, he does a lot of maintenance work so because it, it allows him time to think and be alone. Sometimes he picks up a job as a cameraman for a weird reality TV show where he just says, okay, whatever, that's fine. The most important thing to him is that the jobs don't have fixed hours and that he has plenty of time to relax afterwards, uh, whether that is regular relaxation or chemical relaxation. Uh, he's also recently gotten into philosophy, So he's been reading some books. He's been trying to figure out his place in the world. What does it mean now that he's no longer a horseman? What what does that mean for Wayne? Where do I belong?
2: Is the horse still here? Do we have him with us?
0: I I did not plan for a horse to be with us. (laughs) (laughs) It, It might be easier if there isn't one, yeah. We decided that your hub ship will be known as the Dragon Pop. So we open up in Media Res. And the three of you are in a kind of executive office. Sequin, you are aware that this is the office of your agent, Raphael Rabinowitz. He usually doesn't ask the whole crew to come to the office. Uh, so this is a little bit of a odd situation. Wayne Wayne's
1: going to spike his coffee a little bit with a <laughs> with a little pocket flask.
3: That's just like looking at trinkets around the office and kind of anxious about what the hell's going on.
2: We're wasting time. We're wasting time. I have to pay you both to be here. I don't understand why I had to bring all of you.
0: And with that, your agent comes in again. Handsome fella, very productful hair. And he comes up to you, Sequin. He he grasps you by the hand and he gives you those air kisses. Uh, Sequin, baby, honey, I love you. How have you been? I'm doing wonderful. I get to be the agent of the most premier star of Bounty Hunting. Okay,
2: uh, okay. But- What's this about? I've been waiting.
0: <laughs> Okay. Uh, uh, Alright, well, the fact is your your quibbies are not really hitting that market peak we were hoping for. The bank robber angle is kind of worn out.
2: Do you mean it's worn out? There's an endless supply of bank robbers. There's always someone for us to chase, it's infinite television.
1: So, Lijo. This session started out with the crew of the Dragon Pop learning about a new bounty
0: on Ganymede. Wanna walk us through a little bit of your process of coming up with this session? So when I had created the campaign, the only character sheet I had at the time was uh, was Lawrence, which was a reality TV star known as Sequin Shine, And I thought it would be interesting if we kind of explored the high life of future Cowboy Bebop land, you know? And so I picked a planet that had a lot of people and interesting things happening, Ganymede, and I put a club on there. I made everything cowboy themed because, you know, why not? Calamity Jane seemed like a great name for a club. And then I named pretty much every NPC here uh, something cowboy related. So, yes, I created this weird amalgamation of club, restaurant and hotel. And then I placed people that they might want to talk to on several floors. So in, in, in this scenario, we the crew of the Dragon
1: Pop we told by this agent, hey, you got to go over there. There's a, a new bounty named Henry Elliott. Henry Elliott. Right. So so we, we, were, we were assigned to go find Henry Elliott and bring them in. Once we got there, the thing I remember first was we had to go through security. There was a quote unquote gun
0: check. Yes.
1: No guns were allowed inside the club. So we all had to go through a... And I think these were our first roles of this game, right? Where we we needed to make sure we could pass through or not sneak weapons in something like that
2: so she's going to very like make a huge show over turning over the backpack and being like here it all is
0: are you actually handing over everything? Not the gun, right? Not
2: the gun. The gun is up on my like thigh. It's strapped to my leg. But mm. you're not going to find it unless you frisk her. And if you try to do that, she's going to scream. So she's just trying to make a big show over, like, here's everything and giving you this backpack.
0: Okay. I think we'll start with our first roll. Um, yes. I think, um, I think this would be a confidence roll. Now, I don't think this guy who's at the gun check cares all that much. So I'm going to say he's going to do just a, a modicum of work, uh, and it's going to be a D6 check. So you need to roll a, f- a 5 or higher. You have a D10, so you can, you'll roll your D10.
2: I like that it's a confidence roll, because I feel like she's pulled off this trick before. Like, here's my whole bag. I have rolled a...
0: Six. That is enough to pass. So you get the feeling as you hand over the bag and they don't ask to do any sort of pat down that people are probably strapped in here too, like you. Uh, But uh, but everybody's lying about it.
3: Okay. Kat has knives, projectiles, and chemicals or plants that she can use in a pinch, but her preferred mode of attack is actually oversized head shears. So uh, she chose to leave those on the ship today, unfortunately. They weren't ball, like, they weren't masquerade appropriate, so.
1: (laughs) I imagine a montage of you, like, trying to fit it into what you're wearing. She's like, well, look, look, is this obvious? (laughs) Is this too much? It's not going (laughs) to
3: happen. But yeah, but she has a clutch, and the clutch is actually uh, pretty well hidden, very small darts, uh, things like that. Mm -hmm. and then also among her like dress as well some some of the uh the hems themselves probably have things hidden in them
0: do you hand over the clutch or do you offer it to be searched
3: she opens it and it looks like a normal clutch makeup whatever calm device
0: i'm going to say because you are adapting to being covert let's try an adaptability roll same thing uh a d6 roll and you'll also roll it d8 so you're trying to get a five or higher Eight. You actually explode, which means that you get to roll <laughs> the next higher dice. So you'll roll a d10 and add it to that score. Oh, right now? Yeah, right now. Yeah. It's, it doesn't seem extremely u- useful right now, but it,
3: it helps. <laughs> uh, that was a nine.
0: So you have a 17.
2: 17. Monster roll.
0: I think that just means that when you open your clutch, it looks exactly like. A, a regular old clutch. Some people would have trouble trying to hide knives and weapons around. Honestly, with a 17, you probably could have hidden your shears, too. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, That's something you want to consider. It's yeah. just like a
1: charm. It's like a charm on the side of the clutch. <laughs> it's
3: Giant big. charm. Yeah. It's strapped to my thigh. <laughs> I have to walk with my legs like just like a splint. <laughs>
2: Dangerous.
0: She lives dangerously, that plant justice lady. Wayne,
1: Wayne's going to walk up to the guy and you know whatever like their bin or whatever to put stuff down. He's like this is going to be the most dangerous thing you check in tonight. And he's going to put down his copy of Sun Tzu's The Art of War. Mm. <laughs> what would that be? Uh, I, I think he's just, also it, got his multi tool on him, but he's not putting that on the chair on the table.
0: <laughs> the same thing. If you'd like to do adaptability, if you'd like to do confidence, sure. whatever. I got a five. A five was all you needed. So uh, he looks Ooh, at man. you. <laughs> he looks at you with like a quizzical stare, and he goes, "All right, uh, again, <laughs> a little... minimum wage employee." Yeah. yeah, He's just doing the bare minimum to make sure that people don't <laughs> shoot each other in this bar. Our crew rolled in like uh, disguised as, but also we actually were a camera
1: crew, right? We we decided that we were we were filming things for Quibi, right? Because that's that's the network of the future. It comes back big. Invest now. Yeah, once we were inside, then we had, like, like you discussed, uh, several floors of entertainment and multi, multimedia experience in the club, right? There was uh, a dance floor. There was a, a restaurant. There was a malfunctioning elevator at some point, right? Uh, I like that. Uh, I think it was Jamie, right? The character Kat. The first thing she did was go to the
0: bar, right? And get a drink. Uh, hello, ma'am. How uh, how may I serve you?
3: Uh, I will have a
0: whiskey neat. That'll be five woolongs.
3: Listen, I'll give you 50 woolongs if you can give me some information.
0: Uh, that ah, is bubble. absolutely a bribe of some sort. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> And in this case, uh, Jamie absolutely uh, w- figured it out. And he gave her all the answers for a uh, cheap, what, 100
1: woolongs? I think so. Yeah. Um, it was like for 50 woolongs and then she tipped him. Yeah. After that, I think our crew then split up. Right. We'd all decided, OK, we're. Um, uh, Lauren decided I'm, I'm going to take this. He turned out to be a cop and talk to him.
2: I will go over to the Miami vice type guy.
1: Jamie said, I'm going to go upstairs and see what's there.
2: Kat decides to take a look at the floor
3: where the boss lady is sitting around. So she goes up there just to get a look at the
1: room. My character, Wayne, decided I'm going to look at the dance floor and see what's going on here. You know, he's keeping an eye on, on sequence, right? In, he's not in the VIP, so he's, he's kind of outside, but uh, keeping <laughs> an eye on that still. The
2: pirate lady is down there too, right? Yeah, yeah, okay, I see yep. so
1: that, that That's what he's, he's kind of, again, looking for interesting footage. So, you know, one eye over there, but then he keeps looking at the, the dancing pirate queen over here. So, <laughs>
0: uh, so while I'm happy that there was enough for everybody to do, splitting the party always makes things a little bit more difficult. Now, in Cowboy Bebop, they're almost always split, so that's pretty true to form. But in the role-playing game, I do worry about splitting time equally among my players. Luckily, in this situation, uh, nobody was a real, you know, camera hog. Well, except maybe for Sequin, but that's her persona. That's her role.
1: (laughs) That's her role. (laughs) Sequin talked to Bill about and discovered that uh, he was not our target. He was not Henry Elliott. Cat was able to talk to another bounty hunter that was very much enjoying the buffet, and Wayne uh, failed miserably at trying to dance on the dance floor with a pirate lady.
0: It's always interesting to see what people, what characters will do with my, with NPCs. So Wyatt, the person of interest at the restaurant, uh, was supposed to be a, a semi cowboy Andy uh, who was going to bust in and make a mess of everything. However. Because Kat decided to use truth serum on him, uh, it kind of went completely sideways as he kind of spilled all the beans to her right away. Jamie really kind of made me change the story from like, on a dime, really. and that was that was fun.
1: She was really the MVP of getting our information out. she she solved she got all the clues, right, with
0: her pharmacological ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she uh, she managed to deal with uh, half of the persons of interest. Well, it took you two like a one-on-one. <laughs> uh, the crew closed in on their person of interest, a woman on the dance floor by the name of Annie um, Sequin, pretending to be an interviewer. You know, kind of really honing in on that podcaster personality. Tried to convince her to come to a, a private area to have an interview. Annie decided to agree and took her to the elevator to go upstairs. However, she would not let Wayne or Cat join in and her bodyguards try to escort them somewhere else as always never get separated because that's a terrible terrible time for everybody (laughs) and then our encounter started which actually while we're here woo do we have an idea of what our phrase that would be our version of roll for initiative well the one i used here was
1: let's boogie Mm. right um that just felt natural in the moment I don't know if that's generalizable, right? (laughs) Uh, It was said in character, right, as a Let's Boogie, which is interesting. Yes. Uh, Maybe this is a thing that tables decide, right? Like, maybe this is something we codify, right? This is something that we put in the rules, is that your crew, when we start talking about crews, we talk about how, yeah, your crew has been through scrapes before. So come up with a phrase, come up with a code name, a code word that says, hey, it's trouble time. Hey let's boogie. Hey, let's jam. Right. Where we've got to, it's time to get into a scrape. And that might be uh, something I think about because I've been watching a lot of Star Trek recently is that every captain has their own, uh, Picard's make it so, or engage, or like this might be something that has to exist
0: for every table individually. Right. (laughs) Or even honestly, like when you know that you're no longer setting your phasers to stun (laughs) <laughs> uh, things are about to go down, right? Yeah. yeah. This was an interesting encounter uh, because we had split the party again. Sequin is fighting for her life in an elevator. A pretend, Actually, let me rephrase. She's not fighting because she's trying to convince Annie to come peacefully. And then both Cat and Wayne are fighting for their lives against two bodyguards.
1: And not doing well.
0: And we not, not doing, doing well at, well, at all.
1: At all. <laughs> no. Cat? I think we
0: need to... Boogie.
3: So, cat's going to start by still throwing the dart.
0: Yes. Yeah, so mm-hmm. just fair yep. warning, we did just recently decide on a wound system. So we're going <laughs> to see how that goes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Okay.
0: I'm
1: going to pull out my multi-tool mm-hmm. and kind of like stab it at the closest bodyguard. Not really intending to like hurt him, but just like. Get him to, like, not be so close. <laughs> OK,
0: I mean, you're still going to uh, hurt him because you sh- I'm stabbing somebody with a tool. But <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and just to be clear, what do you define as a multi tool? Like, like, like a you know, fancy you know, Swiss Army knife or like? Essentially, Leatherman. yeah, okay. it's a Leatherman. Yeah, <laughs> off brand, <laughs> yeah. though,
1: because, yeah, you
0: know, <laughs> can't Pretty afford way. that. I want Cat to roll a throne weapons. I want uh, Wayne to, uh, I guess, do a melee weapon roll. <laughs> I'm going to roll uh, two things in in opposing them. Cat, you need to beat a 2 and Wayne you need to beat a 3.
1: I rolled a 4.
0: What? Okay.
1: Yeah, so yeah, that so explodes. I'm, I'm right?
0: exploding. Yeah. yeah. And a one. So. Okay, so <laughs> f- total of 5.
3: Uh, I rolled a 5 out of a d8.
0: This uh, this dart must be pretty hardy as you as you strike to what you were trying to hit. Suddenly the the little box fries and sequin you and pirate lady suddenly jerk to a stop and the light flickers the light goes out and then that emergency light goes on like a red light you are currently trapped in between floors and then uh cat runs one way and wayne stabs a bodyguard I guess. Okay. Uh, Okay. Um, It's the art of war, man.
2: Stabs and runs. He's not. He runs, yeah. That's the art Uh, of war is stabbing and running. (laughs) Stab and
1: run. (laughs) I didn't get too far in this book yet, but you know. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) This week, we got to use our wound system for the first time. And it did
0: not go very well for Kat, right? Well, it, it kind of was going fine. Like there, w- there were some injuries and none of them were particularly bad. And then I rolled a critical hit on Kat and basically she was bleeding out from her armpit, which was not necessarily a good thing. But it did definitely ramp, uh, ramp up all the, um, the stress and anxiety of uh, losing, right? <laughs> it was tense. This was the most tense encounter we've had
1: so far. Uh, I will note that the party still did win, where every single playtest so far, the party has won. Uh, we're a bad game, Maestros, Lijo. But this was the one that was the closest. And it felt, I-, I will say, as a player, it felt really, really good to succeed this time just because it was so close, because it did feel desperate
0: at some point. The combat felt better uh, as we made changes to the movement and to the wound system and gave them something to worry about. The problem with the separate two separate encounters is I was wondering if I needed to set two different sets of the bebop bars, because what's going on upstairs in the elevator was significantly different from what you guys are doing. And because... It was all adding together. The victory condition was Annie saying, I surrender. But that didn't feel quite right, considering that the scene she was having was not nearly a a a total loss as it was downstairs.
1: Yeah. So you had to do a lot of kind of improvisational gymnastics
0: to try to match those endpoints together. It didn't feel good from a story perspective, but as a game, it was feeling it felt okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I also had some issues with the world, because when no one is directly acting on the world, I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to roll. So I just kind of made some rolls, and it wasn't progressing very far, so it wasn't a huge issue at the time. But really, in Cowboy Bebop, the world only matters uh, a lot or a little. Like, there's really no middle ground. Mm-hmm, Yeah. So I was trying to make some ad hoc rules to our wound and movement systems, the big one being a disadvantage on medical checks for a critical hit. It just felt bad. Thinking about it, I was probably too generous. Like, I probably should have put Jamie in a disadvantaged position. But you're already kind of bleeding out to death, and that kind of feels bad. Yeah, I agree with that. I think uh,
1: I I noticed that, too, uh, on the day. And thought ab- I thought about bringing it up, honestly. I was like, wait, I think this is supposed to be a disadvantage. But then I realized, like, "Ah, oh, but that's just going to feel awful. So let's not worry about it. Uh, in the end, Jamie was able to use her pharmacology skill, her plant justice, <laughs> uh, the, her plant justice style, right? Was able to lend a hand in uh, keeping her alive, honestly, <laughs> right? Like the... I think that felt much
0: better than having to do that with a disadvantage. And then we made some decisions on movement, whether you could move back and forth and whether you could take the action and then move. And if that still causes disadvantage on the action, Um, I think I'm pretty happy with what we decided on that, you know uh you can wiggle around a little bit that there is uh, mm-hmm. there is a little bit of fluidity in terms of movement and action we will need to nail it down a little bit but i'm i think i'm happy with where uh where we've stood at
1: yeah i, I think this session it worked out well yeah in the end the team captured the bounty uh, with a lot of nice little hooks into
0: uh where the story could go i had Several more things planned, but again, as time constraints started occurring, uh, I wanted to kind of wrap things up very quickly. So there are some things that I hand waved away, and this is really up to the GM in deciding what they want to keep and what they want to do. Uh, but often, you know, your party will tell you what what they want to do, and if it's, if they want all the story, great. If they don't want any of that story and just want to nab the bad guy, a okay.
1: the game, Jamie and Lauren were gracious enough to hang around and talk about how it went. So, we'll play that for you right now.
2: I really enjoy the encounter system and I think it adds a lot of tension to watch the bars as they fill and to Mm. even be trying to plan ahead, like, what could I do that's going to get me some good numbers in there? Mm. And I appreciate that kind of every action we take contributes to the bar, um, Mm. even if it's something more subtle like a self-healing. The only improvement I would make was just like more, like, keep workshopping your rule writing, you know, like, I could understand without asking how to set up my abilities. And so Mm. I could understand like, what each, what was mechanically going to happen in each of the phases, because I knew storytelling wise, what was going to happen in those Mm -hmm. phases, but gameplay wise, not so much. And it would just help people prepare really well to understand what things they would have to do at each phase.
0: I want this game to not be super crunchy because one of the issues with Dungeons and Dragons and uh, like other role playing games is that like, yeah, sometimes you have no idea what to roll. You have no idea what you're doing. So we did try to limit that a bit. So like, it's not just uh, it's not as esoteric, but man, uh, sometimes like it's still no matter what you do, there's going to be a little bit of uh, crunch and that's unfortunate.
2: It's I really true, enjoyed medium. starting mm-hmm. I enjoyed kind of starting in the middle of the story. I'm personally very bored by like every crew member has to like introduce themselves to each other and decide like why they like each other and why they're loyal to each other and if you can just skip that, which we mm-hmm. did, you get to get to like the the meaty part of the adventure and I think if you sure. could always do that, that's a good choice.
1: I like to like handle those kind of things as maybe like Character revelations later, or like flashback story kind of things later. Like, I think that's much more interesting when you've already established you know each other and then you find like new layers to each other instead.
3: Well, it's also interesting, at least in our case for this story in particular, because uh, Sequin's father was killed and could have related to what Annie was experiencing in terms of mm. vengeance, right? And we didn't get the chance to dive into that, but upon mm. read it, like, repeated playthroughs with the same
0: characters perhaps you can touch
2: on that that way yeah if we yeah. were to have like another episode i think that's what we'd be thinking
0: about i i had more backstory and talk about how she was just here for vengeance and like this is just all her getting close to people so that she can murder them but like yeah again it's all we started three and a half hours ago right I, i'm like all right we are pushing <laughs> it like we need to we need to cut this back significantly yeah uh, i think that's so your I,
2: main challenge is like what can you do on your end to reduce yeah. timing? Because yeah. you can story tell all day long, and it's fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: I think the challenge inherently with writing this kind of RPG, though, is that as soon as you enter a an encounter phase, you've pretty much burned the scene, right? Like. Mm-hmm. In Cowboy Bebop or in other action shows, you don't typically have two encounters in the same scene at Mm -hmm. the same time Mm -hmm. because they would impede upon each other in a way. So I actually really enjoyed the action in going through it. But if it were some way to make it more encapsulated so that you had more of that Mm -hmm. kind of tension playing through during the storytelling parts, that would be pretty interesting.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. I... I think my my problem was I was expecting you guys to fight at the elevator lobby and not split up, and so uh, <laughs> one of that started happening. I'm like, oh no, now I have two encounters. <laughs> what do I do? <laughs>
3: uh,
0: so, but then we I tried it as a single encounter and it seemed to work. Okay, uh, I think it was okay. Uh, yeah.
3: And then um, my other bit of feedback is part of the character sheet, just kind of putting in why that person, like why this character is on a journey with crew, particularly. Mm, Like what are they getting out of, ideally getting out of the relationship of being around these individuals Mm -hmm. so that we could put the forethought into it before we get into the meeting. It's a
1: good idea. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Even if you don't know what other people's characters are going to be, you could still speak to the benefit of like, why would you work with other people in general? Like, why would you collaborate mm-hmm. with the crew
0: in general? This we're we're kind of running it as a bunch of one shots recently, but I do think that I want it to be able to be a, a long form campaign like, you know, D&D can be. Uh, so I, you know, as you said, you don't, you know, some of that kind of buildup of, you know, we're forming a team is kind of boring, but like sometimes it can be really fun. So I was, you know, if somebody wants to go in that route, they should be able to and i think it is possible that you learn to become a crew together you know a la any other kind of kind of found family mm-hmm. guardians of the galaxy whatever sort of thing you know
2: yeah uh, yeah to be clear i was speaking as if it were just a one-off like if yes. it were only one day mm. like it was today i would not want to waste my time on that no if you're like me and my friends are going to do this like month after month yeah mm. start meeting each other and then mm. This bounty, a couple episodes later, escapes, and then we get to go back to her vengeance plotline. But then in the meantime, Mm -hmm. a different bounty of the day came up. Like, I could see it working really well.
1: Uh, I guess the question I have is, like, did it feel... Bebop? Yeah, did it feel Bebop? Like, Secondary question to that is, how many times in the last two years have you just been saying, it feels like Bebop, because we've been saying (laughs) so much?
3: (laughs) I thought that the combat phase felt very much like Bebop. Uh it is more hand to hand. pretty much anything you'd see in a standard action flick goes. And that mm. is true to Bebop as well. Um but being able to be a little hand wavy about the science of particularly my character's medicines, <laughs> uh, you know, and taking reference from the show and being like, look, this is actually plausible in this world has given me a bit of a Better framework to work with and to like articulate what exactly I'm trying to accomplish.
0: It's the future. Anything can happen, you know. Yeah, well, like, I'm <laughs> I'm on board that you can use a dart to to break an elevator. That's fine. I don't care. <laughs>
2: yeah, anything. I think you did a a really decent job in the character sheets, like encouraging mm-hmm. us to be thinking about bebop like traits and bebop like plot lines. I mm-hmm. think you could push that even further, like yeah. more references to planets people could be from or the organizations you could say you're from like just really Mm. encouraging people to pick stuff because like I felt really proud of myself when I was like I thought of Venus sickness but like not everyone is gonna have Mm, like deep cut bebop knowledge from having just done a podcast so giving them like a list to pull from but when you're describing what you want like giving bebop grounded Mm -hmm. examples i think will encourage more of that i think also in a long-term campaign doing more with the idea of outer space and ships because i saw you guys talking about zip crafts and stuff i think that would add a lot to the bebopness of it as well
0: also i i'd like to preemptively apologize because uh bill is supposed to be the worst but man was he the worst uh, so, uh i felt weird i, I about encouraged
2: it. it i encouraged it <laughs> i i felt like if i were to back off from it you would have backed off as well i did not yeah. feel unsafe but yeah. you could think yeah. about you could think about that in the future like
1: uh we've, we've started to add boundaries. the the x card idea the the idea of like a hard nose like when you're playing the game uh we forgot to preempt with that but yeah like yeah. that we should be starting sessions by saying, "Hey, if you're ever uncomfortable, we could stop at any point. Yeah. <laughs> like
0: it's fine." Yeah, if, yeah, I think that was the thing. Is like you, you, you played into it, which uh, which worked in your favor, right? But like it's uh, it's it's never fun. <laughs> it's quick.
2: Yeah. Yeah. If, someone, if someone doesn't want to, they should have yeah. like a mechanic which which with which they can comfortably say they don't want to. I, I think that's yes. fair. What
0: uh, what's the, uh, what's fiasco? I think it's it's literally just a card that says let's not. Yeah, it's yeah. a let's not. Yeah, that's right.
1: A let's not is a great phrase. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
3: From a personal perspective, I always find uh, one off encounters that in- require you to do a costume change a little challenging with a character you mm. only play once. Yeah. Uh, it- because I had these badass shears that I wanted to use, and I yeah,
0: felt bad yeah. about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I, I offered you the chance.
2: Character, a character development. I was like, I haven't hung out with Sequin at all. I actually don't know what she would wear, which is yeah. an interesting point. It wasn't relevant though, but you yeah. make a good point. Like to consider how well do people know their characters when you're mm. asking them to do different things.
1: Yeah. Wait, Wayne's a huge klutz. I didn't know that before I started rolling all those ones today.
0: You
2: so. found it. Ones yeah. And twos, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: Couldn't get anything done. No, that's why, that's why the competent women do everything. Right. Uh, dancing,
2: that's the, true. <laughs> the, the just what, what I did appreciate. And I can't even like diagnose, like how this happened other than just having like a fun, loving, like yes, saying group of people, but the scene of like, you were dancing and then got kicked off the dance floor. It was still a funny, entertaining scene to me, even though nothing happened and you failed. <laughs> and if you can consistently do storytelling, we're like, we're still having a good time, even though we totally just blew it. That feels pretty Cowboy Bebop to me.
0: Failure is always more interesting if you if you do it well, like if it's a hard stop, like that kind of sucks. But if it's a failure, but things got weirder, that's always fun. <laughs> <you
2: know? laughs> it adds to the story. Yeah,
0: Yes, it's always more interesting.
1: Jamie, Lauren, thank you so much again for coming by. Obviously, we are encouraging everybody that's listening to this to go check out the Bebop Beat. You really should have been already. I don't know how you're here if you didn't. Where else can we find you? Like, uh, what's coming up next for you guys? Other than a well-deserved break, you know? Uh, yes. <laughs>
3: <laughs> we agreed that we'll be keeping our social media channels open, so definitely stay tuned there for any kind of one-off updates we have or insights on Bebop that happen to us in the next year or whatever, definitely, I guess. Uh, as for me, all my efforts are going back into Anime Chicago, so if you have any listeners who are based in the Chicago area, please check us out at meetup.com slash anime Chicago. We host over... Four meetups every month and we're getting back to the con scene it's really great to see all my anime loving friends again and have fun with cosplay uh it's just been a long time
2: i do not have an upcoming creative project necessarily i'm moving i'm trying to get a promotion at work Uh, i started some volunteering so there's not a lot you at home can be looking out for but if you enjoyed The Bebop Beat, my original rewatch slash Netflix analysis podcast was about She-Ra, and that's called She-Ra Progressive of Power. There's a hundred episodes of that. So if the style of The Bebop Beat is something that appeals to you, where we start with an older cartoon and compare it to the new hotness, check out that as well.
1: All right. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much.
2: Yeah. Thank,
3: thank you, you for inviting us. us. I kind of want to do it again. <laughs>
1: Thanks again to Lauren and Jamie for coming by and hanging out. After this podcast, we're going to be taking a few weeks off to recharge a bit, uh, enjoy spring break a little, reflow those juices for the last couple episodes of this Cowboy Bebop experiment. Do you want to retake that at all? No, the juices must flow. <laughs> oh, no. If you are enjoying what we're doing here, if you really love... Uh, the idea of a Cowboy Bebop tabletop game. If you've been listening, if this is your first episode here or if this is your 23rd episode, make sure you're subscribed on whatever podcast app you're listening to right now. Please uh, leave us a review on Podchaser or Apple Podcasts because I, you know we'll have time to read them this time before we start putting out the next episode. We would love to respond to whatever feedback you've got. And thank you. Thank you for uh, listening to
0: all of what we've been doing so far if you have any questions comments or if you just want to annoy woo on the internet uh please contact us on twitter at at BebopTabletop. yes it will be me and i will be annoyed i promise
1: it's true and with that see you space Emery. yeah see you space Emery. i will see you in a couple weeks <laughs> goodbye thanks for listening if you've got questions, suggestions, or if you're starting your own bebop tabletop session, you can reach us on Twitter at Bebop Tabletop.
3: Yay, we did it! Yay. <laughs> it's a yeah. podcast. Thank you. That's for good. Yeah. Us. Yes. I think it's a
2: three-hour game, y'all. <laughs>